Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. My name is D. Graves, and I am here with my friend Jason, who is rich and handsome and has a rapist wit. <laughs> you ready to do this, Mr. French Tickler? <laughs> We are here today to compare two great movies from the 90s, Dumb and Dumber and Something About Mary. Two arguably funniest movies of the decade. I mean, I laugh, belly laugh every time I watch these. Yeah, the first act of both of these things is so freaking brilliant that I'm in tears before we get 20 minutes into the movie on both of them. I, when I was in college, Dumb and Dumber came out. Uh-huh. And I saw it, and I immediately went home, got my roommate, and I'm like, we're going to see this. All right. I took him that same day. I saw it twice in the same day. Yes. And then I proceeded to drag other people, my dad, my mom, my sister. Yeah. We all went and saw it. So my college roommates, Cameron Eckert, Todd Wadman, Scott Foster, Doug Huggin, I know I dragged them to the theater here in Norman multiple times to see this. When Something About Mary came out, I was living in Tulsa, dropped out of college at the time. Nice. And I went back to see it again almost immediately after having seen it for two reasons. First reason is absolutely hysterical. The second reason is I wanted to see the audience's reaction at the zipper scene. <laughs> And so at that point, I brought my girlfriend with me. And at that point, I'm like, hey, I'm going to run to the bathroom because I didn't want her to know what I was doing. And I walked down to the corner where I could see everyone's face. And when the zipper scene happened, I, when they, when you see the when you see the beans in the Franks. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get the beans over the Franks. <laughs> when you see that happen, the, the, the expression on everyone's face of instantaneous shock and then hysterical laughter is something that is burned into my memory forever as a priceless, priceless moment. It was so freaking funny. <laughs> These movies are awesome. And whatever we talk about today is not going to be nearly as funny as the movie. So we, we can't compare with the Farrelly brothers, but we can tell you the story, right? We are going to take a deep dive into both of these movies. If you have not seen these movies, do yourself a favor, go immediately, pause the podcast, go watch these. Yeah. The movies that we watch or that we're talking about are over 20 years old. So you should probably, you know, have known that you got to see it by now. <laughs> Here's the other thing. We are a family friendly ish podcast where we would classify ourselves more as like a PG 13 type of thing. Yes. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few things today that might push over the edge. Use some discretion for your younger listeners with you. We will not have profanity on this, but there may be some uh, indelicate topics uh, because these movies are full of them. I mean, how can we not? And talk about these movies right. legit. Yes. Your warnings have been given. And then so we may proceed now. All right. So Dumb and Dumber was released December 16th, 1994. With two weeks left to go in the year, it still was the 18th highest grossing film of 1994 fantastic it's really well i mean it it blew out of the gates yeah number 18 in 94 and number 24 overall in 95 so it made a ton of money its budget was 17 million and it made 247.3 million dollars and just just to keep things in perspective 1994 and 1995 are arguably two of the best years in movie history. So in 94, you've got natural born killers, you've got clear and present danger, you've got the usual suspects, you've got Pulp Fiction. You've got Forrest Gump, you've got Shawshank Redemption. In 95, you had Casino, you had Clueless, you had Tommy Boy, another incredible year for movies and 
this one. Oh, and Seven, your favorite. Seven, seven came out in 95. And Desperado, one of my favorites. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, fantastic, hilarious. How do we get there? Let's start with the Fairly Brothers. Okay, so the Farrelly brothers are self-described ne'er-do-wells. Their dad was a doctor. Their mom was a nurse <laughs> practitioner. They had three sisters who all did excellent in school, and basically they barely made it through. I think Bobby Farrelly went to like four different high schools. He ended up playing some hockey, I think, in college, but wasn't a super student, studied geology. Peter studied accounting. Uh, they were both so bad at those particular areas that they became salesmen after college. And so at about 24 years old, they're like, you know what? We don't have anything to lose. We kind of want to be writers. Let's go out to California. So they moved from Rhode Island out to California to become writers. And so they would tell people, yeah, we moved to California and we're writers now. And people would say, well, have have you written anything that I would have seen? And they said, no. Yeah. What they essentially were, were script doctors. So when people had scripts that needed some punching up, these guys came in and made them funny. Okay. And so at some point they're talking to a producer at who works at Universal. And they said that the idea for Dumb and Dumber was his idea. Now here's the idea for Dumb and Dumber. Two guys who are screw ups travel across the country. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying I've heard this or seen this anywhere else, but if the two guys in front of me are self-described underachievers and they've moved from Rhode Island to California, I would say maybe they didn't realize they might have been the inspiration for their own movie. That's right. Yeah. Lloyd and Harry uh, maybe should have been called Peter and Bobby. Right. <laughs> so they go and they write the first scene of a script and they bring it to this producer. He's like, this is magical. I love it. You know, we, we definitely need to make the movie. Go ahead and write the rest of the script. They go back, they write the rest of the script. They give it to him. He thinks it's wonderful. And he says, I'll get back with you right after the weekend. Monday comes. They don't hear anything. Tuesday, Wednesday, they don't hear anything. Finally, they call and they find out. He no longer works at Universal. Of course, yeah. It's a story that we've heard before. We I feel have, like. yeah. that's right. And so he has moved to Fox, and so they're waiting on him at Fox to give him, you know, an idea of what's going to happen. And after 19 months of not hearing anything, they write him a letter and say, hey, you know, you loved this script. What's going to happen with it? And he says, I'm not doing anything that I was associated with whenever I was at Universal. So here's your script back. And they didn't know what to do. Yep. Somewhere in the process, they come across John Hughes and they're like, hey, we're looking for a director on this thing. And he tells them, you know what? You should direct it. And they're like, we haven't even written anything famous yet. How are we going to direct? And he's like, you have the movie in your head. You've already got the story in your head. Just make that the movie. That's all you have to do as a director. Now, wait a minute. This is John Hughes, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink, Weird Science. No, it's the other John Hughes, John John Bartholomew Hughes. <laughs> yes, no, the John Hughes. Yes. Wow. And so they eventually get some producers to come along board who think that the script is hilarious. There's a bit of resistance to having them direct, but at this point they've decided this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to make our break. Initially, the first script was called Dust to Dust, and that was about two idiots moving across the country and working at a funeral parlor. It was actually bought by Eddie Murphy's production company. Huh. But uh, ultimately, it didn't happen. So it sat there, dust to dust, never got made. They later wrote a sequel for the Tom Hanks, Dan Aykroyd movie, Dragnet. Dragnet Part 2. Okay. 
they called it their best script they've ever written. Okay. But it was never made. Right. So they go back to the drawing board and the Farrelly's and this other guy. Benny Gillen is the name of their writing partner. Yes. Thank you. Came up with another story. This is about two dim-witted guys, Harry and Lloyd, who set off for Aspen to return the lost briefcase, right? The whole plot of the movie. Right. They called it Go West, but then they thought, no, what we really need to do is call it Dumb and Dumber. But that title, nobody liked it. They could not get any actors to agree to star in a movie called Dumb and Dumber. Uh-huh. It kept getting rejected, rejected, rejected. So they changed the title to A Power Tool is Not a Toy. Basically, uh-huh. they changed the title and uh-huh. sent it back to the same studios, same script, but instead of people not reading it, they uh-huh. then thought, okay, well, that's an interesting title. <laughs> okay. So they read it. Yeah. Okay. So when the Fairley brothers finally found a movie studio that agreed to do this, they said, all right, here's the deal. We'll make it. So the script passed through and was rejected by every major Hollywood studio until it made its way to New Line. Okay. The head of New Line Cinema, Mike DeLuca, loved the script and agreed to make it, but the CEO of the company hated it. But it, but he said, okay, here's the deal. Yes. He, he gave him a list and he said, I will make this movie if you get any of these 25 guys on this list. Uh-huh. So they sent it out, rejected by all 25. Every single one. Every single one. But you're talking about big names like Steve Martin and Martin Short and yeah. Nicolas Cage. And- so one of the guys whose hands the script ends up in is a guy named Jim Carrey, who at the time that he had the script and looking at it, you wouldn't know who he was unless you're a big In Living Color fan. He was the token white guy. The white guy. I, I loved it. I watched In Living Color all the time. Did you watch it? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I knew him from Once Bitten. Did oh, you ever yeah. watch one? I, yeah, I, but I mean, I certainly wouldn't have known. Yeah, that guy's name's Jim Carrey. No, I I knew him from Once Bitten, but that movie was cute and humorous. And he was kind of leading. Guy, he, was the, right? he was the main guy, but he wasn't Jim Carrey like right. on display. You know what I mean? It's like 1985. It was a long time yeah. before Ace Ventura. Long time. Well, and Ace Ventura is the key here because he was going to be able to do the movie for a paycheck of $1 million if they signed him before Ace Ventura was released. A million bucks? Jim Carrey for a million dollars. Yes. As it turned out, they didn't get that done. (laughs) And so I think they offered him $700,000. And then when Ace Ventura came out, they had to offer him $7 million. Seven million dollars. Seven million bucks because they waited too long and Ace Ventura was out like a rocket. Yes. And so the thing was, though, with that Ace Ventura, suddenly they had star power from a guy who was willing to do the movie. And that is what allowed the studio to go, okay, we're going to invest enough that you can pay him $7 million. We'll invest $16 million. A little less than half will go to him and the rest of it you can use to make your movie. Okay. Let's think about this for a second. We talked earlier this summer, Mm -hmm. flashback to our Smoking the Bandit episode. Yeah. That was made on a budget of $4 million. Burt Reynolds was paid $1 million of that $4 million budget. Yes. Jim Carrey was paid $7 million of a $17 million budget. What the hell are we doing here, Harry? That's nearly half of the budget. It's incredible. Yeah. And here's the kicker to go along with that. Yeah. Do you know what Jeff Daniels was paid to do Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. So Jim Carrey was the one who asked for Jeff Daniels to be in the movie. They didn't want Jeff Daniels to be in the movie. They knew he was a good actor, but they thought, you know, this isn't the right guy for this comedy about stupid guys, the ridiculous stuff that he's going to have to do. And so they deliberately lowballed him and they offered him $50,000 and he instantaneously said, yeah. Okay, Lloyd, 
I know. They were trying to drive him away with that lowball offer. Yeah. His agent said, do not do this movie. It will kill your career. He said he had three agents on the line. They said, look, dude, we're trying to get you an Oscar. You can't do this to us. Yeah. Don't do this movie. Still his most profitable movie to date. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. So when Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, they got together and they were auditioning using the hot tub scene. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So they're naked. <laughs> they're in the hot tub. or not naked, yeah. but, you know, undressed mostly. And uh, Jim Carrey said he went over to Jeff Daniels and motorboated him. <laughs> and when jeff daniels just went with it jim carrey was like this is my guy yeah i have to have this guy he's i mean in any other movie he's the comic guy but in this one between those two he's the straight man yeah the guy with the poop scene (laughs) is the straight man it's it is it is dumb and dumber yes by the way here's that's a good question which one's dumb and which one's dumber okay Harry, Jeff Daniels' character, is dumb. Yeah. Lloyd, Jim Carrey's character, is dumber. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay. I watched this movie with Caleb, my 11-year-old. The movie starts, and he asks me that question. And I'm like, I tell him the same thing that you just said. I'm yeah. like, yeah, Jim Carrey's the dumber one. Lloyd, Lloyd's the dumber one. Right. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And we watch, and we watch. And at the point that Lloyd says... Yeah, he must work out. Caleb turns to me and goes, you're right. He's the dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's when he's trying to read. He's going, the. Yeah, the. All right, before we get too far down the road, I do want to talk about casting in both of these movies, but let's flip back. Let's talk about There's Something About Mary. His friends would say, stop whining. They've had enough of that. His friends right, and which, interestingly, I mean, this that movie came out in 1998. Yes. It was the third movie. Dumb and Dumber was the first movie. We had right. Kingpin in the middle. Right. But the story actually starts 10 years earlier, when these two guys in 1988 are living in a rent-controlled apartment in California. Okay. And their names are Ed Decker and John Strauss. Okay. And they are they're script writers. They're working on a script together and they realize that their neighbor, an aerobics instructor, likes to change her clothes when she gets home from work with an open windows and blinds. Yeah, God bless her. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they felt as so well. So they saw the aerobics instructor they changing s- her they clothes. They saw the every single day like clockwork she would come in the door they would go hide behind the couch and just peek over the edge and see her change her clothes in the open window across the way. And at some point, as they're, you know, one of their first visages of this, as they're cowering and peeking and spying, they one of them turns to the other and says, this is really actually pretty disgusting. We're a couple of stalkers here. And the other one says, don't think of us as stalkers. Think of us as detectives. <laughs> and it is that moment that was the light bulb moment where they said, imagine if some guy hired a private detective to go spy on this girl that he had liked. And the private detective sees her and falls in love with her. It's a great hook. Yes. So... 
Thank you again, aerobics instructor. We appreciate your contribution to the movie industry. Giving it up to her. So they write a script that is, there's something about Mary. And they get it to a studio who's excited about making it. And it ends up in what we call development hell. Right. The studio has its own ideas about how things should go. And basically, they develop it into a terrible script instead of a wonderful script. Okay. And it goes nowhere for years. Fortunately, before all of that happened, when they had their original script, they showed it to a couple of friends of theirs named Bobby and Peter Farrelly. And so years go by. They finally, after I think it was eight years, they finally get their script back. It had been in development hell for that. So that puts it at 1996. They get it back. They're trying to figure out what to do with it and happen to run into the Farrelly's again who go, hey, whatever happened with that script that you were writing? Uh And they said, well, it never got made. We actually just got it back. And they said, we would love to make it. Awesome. And and so there you go. And so they gave it to the Farrelly's. The Farrelly's worked their own magic on it. And they did tons of work, including that introductory scene, which is key. It is key to the success of that movie. Okay, let's talk about that for a second because I I heard the same thing. Kingpin in 96 was the follow-up to Dumb and Dumber. I mean, it's it's not a sequel, but it was their next movie. Next movie for the Fairlies. It didn't do very well. It did poorly. I didn't like it. Did you like it? I've, I still haven't seen it. Okay. Well, it didn't do as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when they were working on There's Something About Mary, they're like, listen, this may be our last movie. Right. So we're putting every amazingly funny thing we can possibly think of right. and cramming it into this movie. They were talking to their mom, actually, and their mom reminded them of, of an event. Their mom, Mary. Their mom, Mary, who, if you'll notice, the main woman in Dumb and Dumber, her name is Mary. And obviously, there's something about Mary. Right. But she reminded them of an event way back when, when her sister had a party at their house. And one of the young men got his privates. Beans and Franks. (laughs) Franks and Beans. Caught in the zipper. Uh-huh. And their dad was a doctor and he had to go in and help this kid. Yeah. And they laughed. They they said they laughed at the re- recollection of that story so much. They're like, we have got to put that in. Okay. So let's talk about casting for Dumb and Dumber real quick. Okay. We talked about the list of 25 names that if they could get any one of those names, then they would do the movie. But unfortunately, they all rejected it. So me being curious, I want to know the names on that list, right? Right. So here are some of the names that I came across, okay? Nicholas Cage and Gary Oldman was the first choice pairing. Ooh. Nick Cage would definitely take the risks. I could see that. Gary Oldman, at that point, had done very little that we know him for at this point, but he had done Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which is kind of a two idiot, but more like a Shakespeare two idiot kind of thing. I could see it. He was Dracula. I know, but when was that? 92. Yeah, I guess so. Still, Nick Cage, Gary Oldman. I don't know, man. Here's some of the other names, okay? Yeah. Steve Martin and Martin Short. Sure. Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers. Ooh. That like a Shrek. Yeah, that uh, would have been thing. interesting. <laughs> Rob Lowe was considered for the role of Harry. They really wanted Chris Elliott, the guy who played Woogie in There's Something About Mary. Yeah. And then they, they also considered Chris Farley. Yes. They briefly 
considered the two Corys. Oh, wow. Until the studio said, look, dude, those guys are not bankable actors anymore. You can't have those guys. Right. That was the absolute right call. Yeah. My gosh. So Lauren Holly, she was a star of Picket Fences. She had been in like soap operas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She actually turned down the role that Courtney Cox got in Ace Ventura. Oh, okay. So Jim Carrey knew her, was familiar with her. Had an interest. <laughs> <laughs> Tight little package. Affirmative. Oh, <laughs> Look at the fun bags on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real quickly with the other members of the cast, okay? Karen Duffy, she was on MTV a lot. They called her Duff. Remember her? Yes. She played J.P. Shea. She was one of the early fans of this script, and the only part they had was the hitman. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Which was originally supposed to be a male character, but they're like, hey, what, what the heck? Charles Rocket, who plays Nicholas Andre. Yes. He was the guy, if you remember, he said the F word on Saturday Night Live in, like in the 70s. Oh. And was fired from Saturday Night Live. Okay. So uh, that's kind of what he was known for. Harlan Williams, who plays the motorcycle police officer. Yes. And also the hitchhiker in There's Something About Mary. Yes. He finished second for the role of Harry. He, I could see him in the part. Yeah, he's got the he's got the right dumb. Like if you've seen Half Baked, he's he, he's got the ability to play stupid pretty well. Well, according to the Fairley Brothers, he's impossible to direct. <laughs> so they said, "Look, this is how we wrote it. This is what we want you to do. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. He's going to do it however he wanted to." Right. So they were kind of glad that they didn't uh, land him. Land him. Right. But they said, well, you know, we got this role of the, uh, the highway patrolman who drinks urine out of uh, beer bottles. Right. Said, I'll take it. <laughs> Sucking him back on a little grandpa's cough syrup. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you fellas aware that uh, drinking alcohol out of an open container? They got uh, Terry Gar from Mr. Mom. Yes. And Young Frankenstein and a slew of other. I mean, awesome everything. Yeah. yeah. One person that I wanted to mention real quickly is mm-hmm. Cam Neely. Cam Neely is a professional hockey player. He played for the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sea bass. Oh, yeah. Right? And so they have a knack of putting in professional athletes in their movies, right? Yeah, right. Real quickly, sea bass is the guy who chases them across the country and is uh, the guy who's going to distribute the manly love in the uh, the stall <laughs> in the bathroom, in, the bathroom. In, in Colorado. Real quickly on that scene, right? So that scene is so freaking funny. But they pump the brakes just enough for my taste. You mean they pump the brakes right when you see his leopard print underwear? They sh- the deleted scene <laughs> of his leopard print underwear and his, yeah. I mean, his you can see his package there. So anyway, when you're watching with your kids, yeah, they kind of are under the assumption that maybe he's just going to get beat up. Sure. Because of these two movies, there's only one that you can watch with your kids. And even still, there might be some scenes that you have to fast That's forward. That's true. Like I fast forwarded through most of the heart-shaped hot tub scene <laughs> and Caleb kept going there's nothing inappropriate here there's nothing and I'm like you just don't know and I'm not wanting to have you figure it out and me to explain it to yeah, you yeah really yeah some little Philly break your heart <laughs> no it was a girl <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk about casting for something about Mary sounds great hey come this May we'll be running in the sun again your time will come so when the Fairley Brothers were casting for there's something about Mary they immediately thought of Jim Carrey for the sure. role of Ted. Right. He had done great, and he was a full-blown movie star. Yes. I mean, a full-blown movie star. Mm-hmm. From 1994, The Mask was a number one movie, Ace Ventura was a number one movie, and Dumb and Dumber was a number one movie. That's the first actor, I think, to have three number one movies in the same year. And he had actually worked with Cameron Diaz in The Mask. Right. But I think at that point, it was a little bit too expensive, and he had all kinds of other things going on. So they said, let's get this guy, Ben Stiller. Now, at this point, Ben Stiller had done a lot 
but hadn't done anything big. So I was talking to Arlen on the way over here today, actually, called, he called me up. We're talking and I talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. And he's like, oh, are you going to talk about the Ben Stiller show? And I'm like, the what? <laughs> he was like, yeah, he had a show. It was like the Ben Stiller show. And he tells me about this episode that he's seen. And I'm like, no, I don't. I didn't even know that was a thing. He's like, oh, I don't know. There's only like two episodes. You know, I think he's speaking in hyperbole. No, there were literally two episodes wow. of the Ben Stiller show. And that was it. Wow. And then he goes on and he does like some serious roles. He does like Reality Bites, Reality Bites just yeah. before this. And he was kind of building. But there's no question that this was a breakout role for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, John Stewart, they thought about him as the role of Ted. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Same type of deal. Sure. Yeah. So the Fairley brothers come to the studio and they say, we want Ben Stiller. Right. And the studio says, I don't think so. This this guy is unproven. He hasn't really done anything. We don't really know him. Go back to the drawing board. So the Fairley brothers come back and say, well, okay, we want this guy named Owen Wilson. Right. And they're like, wait a minute now. We really don't know this guy. Yeah. So let's go back to Ben Stiller. Right. And so that's how they landed on Bill Stiller. I mean, I think they would have been happy had they gotten Owen Wilson. And interestingly, Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller have done a few things together since then. Yeah, they have. But they were in love with the movie Bottle Rocket, which was Owen and Luke Wilson's first movie. It's a great movie. And in watching the movie, they saw something where you're starting in one direction, then all of a sudden there is a sharp turn and you're in going in an entirely different direction. And that inspired them in their script writing. And that I'm sure is why they proposed Owen Wilson as an alternative. When they do a script, they say, we don't want to know what happens at the end. Because if we know what happens at the end, somehow it's going to come through to everybody else. And so we leave the end open and decide what it's going to be when we get there. So they said, let's go back to Ben Stiller. Okay. They were in love with Cameron Diaz. Duh. I mean, who who's not? Right. right. Then they had to cast the role of Pat Healy. So they thought Bill Murray. Perfect. He had just done Kingpin. Right. And they thought, let's get Bill Murray in here. Uh-huh. But they thought he was too old, right? And right. he probably was. Yeah, he was. So they, they talked about Hank Azaria. They talked about Cuba Gooding Jr. Hmm. and Vince Vaughn. But here's the kicker. Cameron Diaz, she's on board. You know who her boyfriend is? Uh, it's this guy from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. People don't realize this. Cameron Diaz and Matt Dillon had dated for like three years. Yeah. And uh, then they broke up. They right broke up like right movie. after this movie. <laughs> so I, I just find that interesting. They were they were a couple and they were really in love. And I read some stuff and he said basically he lived in New York. She lived in LA. It ran its course and it was done. Huh. So just real quick, I got to say this since we're on Matt Dillon. Yes. The intro scene of Pat Healy. Where he stands up and his pants are unbuttoned <laughs> and unzipped. That was Matt Dillon's idea, as was the mustache. And I think the mustache is perfect. If Matt Dillon plays this part without the mustache, he's too appealing. He's too good looking, yeah. Yes, but you give him that pencil-thin porn stash, and now he's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Farley was actually considered for the part of Warren. Yes. Uh, that's Cameron Diaz's brother. Yeah. The He's mentally challenged and he's the guy who runs around, breaks the beans. He's he, masturbating. He went masturbating. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. Have you my wiener? <laughs> Have you seen my wiener? And, and anytime he touches his ears, he goes crazy. Yeah. Warren is actually a contribution by the Farrelly brothers to the to that original script. He wasn't in the original Ed Decker, John Strass script. Warren is actually based on a real person that the Farrelly brothers grew up with, whose name was Warren. Okay. And he makes an appearance in the movie. You remember in the movie when Cameron Diaz, when Mary is handing out lunches to yeah. all of the special needs yeah. folks? 
the guy who leans in and gets and steals a kiss from her, that's the real Warren. All right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. One of the other things I want to talk about casting-wise, Marky Post. Okay, so Marky Post is a perfect cast for that part because she's as much a Mary as Mary. I mean, she's totally, you could- Major babe from the 80s. Very much. And and nailed the part with the back teen and all of it <laughs> and, 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 and trying to ask about whether it was the, the beans or the franks with the hand the motions. The ups and downs and yeah. Yeah. Anyway- <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple other interesting casting things that happened okay. with this movie. Um, and they relate back to Dumb and Dumber. Okay. First, let me say, in the movies, all of the extras are friends of the Farrelly brothers. I love this. I like. I mean, like you just, you see people in their movies that are extras and I guarantee they either grew up with them or they're related to somebody that grew up with them or who's involved in the movie or their crew or something like that. Just as an example, you'll remember the guy in the jail cell as they're closing the door, the guy with long hair and the mustache, the old man. It's Cameron Diaz's dad. That's her real dad. Yes. Like their parents are in the movie. They, they've got all kinds of friends from high school and stuff in their movies. But I thought also- that was an exaggeration. Like I I thought yeah. I read that and I yeah. thought, okay, you know, they've got some friends scattered out. When they're at the bar, I watched the commentary and the Fairley brothers are like, well, that's Jim Smith and that's Betty Lou Johnson. And, yeah. then she, I, and he, they named everybody in the background. Yes. Yeah. They're literally throughout the commentary. They're like, oh, that's that guy that grew up down the street from us. Yes. And so they also tend to stick with the same actors. Mm-hmm. And so just, I'll give you three examples and I'll hopefully end with the best. So Dom's wife. <laughs> His wife, which I mean, my gosh, we're talking about dream wife <laughs> number one, right? I'm gonna make some cookies, you know, you know, butterscotch, chocolate chip, and then when the news article comes on, I'm not gonna describe what happens. But anyway, so that she is, she was actually the wife of one of their producers. She was in the, she was in Dumb and Dumber as one of the waitresses. Yes, not Flo, the other one. Right. <laughs> Excuse me, Flo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Detective Stabler was yes. the bartender Yeah In Dumb and Dumber Yes And here's this one I'm going to see if you know this Okay Magda That's she- Mrs. Noogie Burger from Dumb and Dumber <laughs> Newborn <laughs> new, 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 Newborn uh, Born Okay <laughs> Mrs. Noogie Burger Yes So Do you know who else she was in one of the Farrelly Brothers movies? No. She was the landlady in Kingpin. Oh, and yeah. And when we were talking on the phone about Kingpin, I asked you, did anybody steal that movie? You said Bill Murray. I think a lot of people might say the landlady stole that yes. movie. Yes. So the landlady is the dog lady in Dumb and Dumber. She is the landlady in Kingpin, and she is Magda, the constantly scanning the airwaves for <laughs> indecent folks roommate of Cameron Diaz. The one who, if you'll remember, as they're spying on Cameron Diaz, he turns his back to get a bigger pair of binoculars as Cameron Diaz is changing clothes and accidentally sees Magda with her top off and is like, ah! Yeah. And that lady actually is a pretty nice looking lady. She's, she's a great looking lady. She's a, she's That's all mid, fake. Yeah. yeah. She's in her mid forties at the time that they were filming all this stuff. So she's not, <laughs> not the hag that they presented her to be. Quickly, they wanted to cast a professional athlete as Cameron Diaz's former boyfriend. Right. They mentioned Brett several times in the movie. Yeah. Brett. And they even call him the Pac-Man at one point. Right. Green Bay Packers. Who they really wanted was Steve Young. Okay. Who's the quarterback of the 49ers. Right. He's a pretty religious guy. He's a practicing Mormon. And when he read <laughs> the script, no he's way. like, guys, I can't There's do no this, way. right? Yeah, right. Uh, funny, but no. 
So then they thought, let's do Drew Bledsoe. Okay. He was the quarterback, I think, at the Patriots at the time. Uh, for whatever reason, didn't work out with him. And so they got Brett Favre. Favre. <laughs> <laughs> Which that was Ben Stiller. Yes. Ben Stiller is a sports fan. He knew the proper pronunciation of Brett Favre's name. Yes. But he's like, wouldn't it be funny if I mispronounced his name? Because who hasn't done that, right? It's a weird spelling. It yeah. is a weird spelling. So that does it with casting Casting. for something about Mary. Yeah. Okay. One of the things I forgot to mention and wanted to talk about during Dumb and Dumber, kind of the plot of the movie is revolving around the kidnapping of Mary's husband. His name is Bobby. Yeah. Okay. And they had some scenes written with him. There's a funny deleted scene where he's in a trunk and they throw it down the stairs and they poke him with a broom. (laughs) And they actually, uh, he's actually escaping. You see the trunk like scooting away and they have to go grab him. Anyway, that guy was played by another actor. They wanted Mel Gibson to be in that part. Okay. At the time, you think about Mel Gibson in 1994. I mean, he's like America's hunk, right? Right. They wanted her husband to be such an unattainably good looking guy Uh to minimize Lloyd's chances even more. Right. So you're saying there's a change. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just real quick on that, yes. as I did my own segue there. Uh-huh. It's interesting, both of these movies, there are lines and scenes that are absolutely hysterical, and there are lines and scenes that are not hysterical, but they're the most memorable. Like, okay. they, they stand the test of time. Like, I like her a lot. I didn't I like laugh at that line. Right. But everybody said, I People like still it say a it. lot. Yes, yeah. still say it. They they still say so. You're saying there's a chance. Yeah, that it's it, it, it. Those lines weren't laugh out loud lines, but they're lines that stand the test of time. And so I got to say that's some that's some good writing. The Farrelly brothers. It's very easy to throw them in this. You know, they're just crude, disgusting humor guys, and that's how they've made their millions. But the truth is, their movies would not have been what they were. If there wasn't a heart, absolutely in part of these movies, huge, right? huge part. So growing up, their favorite their favorite TV show was the Andy Griffith Show, and what they loved about it was number one, it was funny. It's always you're always laughing, but number two, there was always heart. You loved the characters that were involved, and so that's what they try to do for each of their movies. And so just as an example, if you think about Dumb and Dumber, right? You've got one scene that you're just going, what's it? once you rewatch it, you're like, why am I watching this? What's going on here? Is the scene where Lloyd is trying to convince Harry to go cross country with him and Harry's out. And then Jim Carrey gives this very dramatic, he's got the dramatic music playing and he's just, you know, I'm just tired of being alone. You know, and it's this really kind of moving moment. They hug and Harry's like, it's okay, it's okay. And then he's like, okay, that's enough. And he's like boohooing into his shoulder. Yeah. Yes. But you're right. That's he's very touchy. He says, you know, I'm sick and tired of eking my way through life. I'm sick and tired of being a nobody, but most of all, I'm sick and tired of having nobody. Yeah. And it like pulls at the heartstrings, you know? It does. And so when the studio saw that, they're like, what the crap is this scene doing in here? Why do you have this? This is absurd. We take this out. And the Fairley brothers said, listen, in two minutes, this guy is going to be selling a dead headless bird to, <laughs> to a blind, crippled boy. You have to like him in order to, to not hate him in two minutes. Right. And so that's why the scene's in there. You think about that first hysterical 18 minutes of There's Something About Mary. Everything is wonderful. Being here is heavenly. 
you fall in love with Ben Stiller during that time period? He brought Warren a baseball, right? Like yes. he's a good-hearted guy. He'd yeah. already protected him on the schoolyard. Without even knowing who he was. Right. And just that moment when you've got this obviously geeky guy. I mean, it's a little weird that you've got 30-something-year-old actors playing high school students. But if you start off your movie with a guy playing a guitar and another guy playing a drum in the top of a tree, <laughs> that's true. You're willing to suspend your belief quite a bit, right? <laughs> and so you see Ben Stiller in this ridiculous wig with these ridiculous braces on, and you're like, I'm okay with that. Let's keep on going, right? And then he defends Warren without knowing that it's Mary's brother. They walk home. You're already in love with her because she's talking about the 49ers. And then at that moment where she asks him to the prom, and you're like, okay, this goddess just asked this toad you fall in love with him right yeah. you're rooting for the guy who has no hope and then they follow the best moment in his life with the worst moment <laughs> in his life and he messes it all up we got a bleeder how are you not going to root for that guy throughout the whole movie i totally agree with you and i think that's why dumb and dumber 2 was not as good i thought the characters were even though they're still Lloyd and Harry, mm -hmm. and it's still Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey, yeah. they were a bit more mean. Uh, and, and it was less hard and more over-the-line humor. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so, didn't see it. Anyway, you're did right. You, did you see Dumb and dumber -er? Yes. There's one funny scene in the prequel. Okay. One. Uh-huh. And it's how Harry and Lloyd meet. Yeah. And they're both running and they come around the corner at the same time and they run into each other. Uh-huh. And Harry knocks out Lloyd's chips his tooth and it's in his forehead oh that's hysterical and so that's how he gets his chipped tooth yeah which that part was the only funny part in that movie but let's talk about that for a second yeah. jim carrey actually took a chisel and knocked out part of his no i'm kidding he didn't really do that he already had lost the tooth he had already chipped his tooth when he was a young man and had a some sort of cap on there and so for the movie he had them remove the cap in order to give him the kind of snaggle tooth look. I heard that he removed it himself with a beer cap. Oh, wow. That's a better story. But yeah, that is Jim Carrey's actual chipped tooth. <laughs> and the, the bowl haircut was Jim Carrey's idea. Mm -hmm. He said, let's give me the dumbest cut you can. <laughs> so they gave him the bowl cut. And then for Jeff Daniels, they said, for the next while, don't cut your hair. Uh -huh. Don't wash your hair. Yeah. Don't comb your hair. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Yeah, I mean. That's what it looked like. Yeah, that's yeah, perfect. So they're set to direct Dumb and Dumber. Yes. It's the first movie they've ever directed. And so at some point, Peter Farrelly, two weeks, two weeks before the movie's supposed to start filming, Peter Farrelly goes to this dinner and there's a British uh, movie director there sitting at the table with him. And if you're not a director, you probably don't know what coverage is, but that just means you, you do a whole bunch of different cameras so that, you know, that you've got a lot to work with in the editing room. Right. Right. And so he's talking to this British director and he's like, so do you have, you know, I'm about to direct my first movie. Do you have any advice for me? And the director says, make sure you have plenty of coverage. And Peter Farrelly is like, what's coverage? <laughs> <laughs> and the British director stands up and he calls his wife. He's like, come over here. Come over here. He's directing a film in two weeks and he doesn't know what coverage is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel after bad for that, that guy. So after that, he's totally freaked out. The day before they're supposed to start filming, he won't get out of bed. <laughs> like, that, like Bobby and other people are there. They're like, we, we got to just go do it. He's like, no, we don't know what we're doing. We can't go do this. We need women we've gotten in over our heads. I don't know what to do. But they got him out of bed. His, his older brother finally got him out of bed by saying, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> 
<laughs> no offense. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not taken. Okay, so we have to stop now. Unfortunately, we're loving what we're doing, but come back. Next week, we'll have part two of Dumb and Dumber versus There's Something About Mary. Move it or lose it, sister. Sister.